Well, we're in the book of Mark, and we're going through the New Testament uh, book by book, and we're just going to just fly over the top of these 16 chapters tonight. Won't look at all of them, but I want to give you just a little bit of a uh, thumbnail sketch of this book of God's Word in the book of Mark. And I like... Uh, I, I'm so thankful that God gave us the scriptures in the New Testament, of course, written after Jesus went back to heaven. The Genesis to, Mal, to Malachi was written before Jesus came to earth. There's about a 400-year uh, period between the two whenever the Lord closed out the Old Testament with Malachi until uh, the first book of the New Testament is written. Now, Mark of the four Gospels is probably the oldest. It's the first one that was written. And um, John Mark is mentioned probably about five to six times in our Bible. And uh, he is a nephew of Barnabas. He grew up in Jerusalem. His mom, it seems like they probably had some money. And uh, he was not a poor young man, but, um, but probably a fellow who would probably have been comfortable growing up in his home. Seems like that maybe Peter was one of the more influential ones to influence him to Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, Peter calls him his son in the faith. And so it may have been Peter was the instrument that God used to bring John Mark to the Lord. He's mostly remembered for going out with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. And he gets to Pamphylia, and, and they are no longer staying in the Motel 6s and sleeping out and watching, watching uh, rocks fly and persecution take place and... And then to make matters worse, I think that up in, 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 whenever they left, it was Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul, you hear it. And the very first time that God says it's Paul and Barnabas, uh, the next verse, John Mark leaves. And I think maybe a little bit of kind of not ready to accept the difficulties of the missionary work that was gone there and... He might have had a problem. He had no problem submitting to Barnabas, Uncle Barnabas, but maybe he had a hard time when God switched the, the authoritative order, and he wasn't sure that he could take that. And after that, John Mark, the very first time you see Paul is preceding Barnabas in the Scriptures, John Mark goes back home, and he leaves. I think Paul took it personal. It bothered Paul terribly. And whenever it came time to go out again... And Barnabas and Paul were getting ready to head out again and to go on the second missionary journey. That's when um, Paul protested and said, I'm not taking your nephew this time. He's a quitter. He left us. Uh, he said, I'm not going to take him. And, and Barnabas says, no, we've got to take him. And, of course, Barnabas was a son of what? Consolation. He was an encourager. He was a mercy giver. He was someone who would work with people. And uh, Paul was says, like, I'm, not, I'm not taking that quitter with us again. I'm not taking him. And maybe more so because of a personal vendetta that he did not accept his leadership. And may I say to you, it's, it's going to be a good day in all of our lives when we learn to look beyond humanity for our security and significance. You've got to keep your head up and your heart soft, especially when you're working with people. And men are men at best. Now, at the end of Paul's life, whenever he wrote uh, 2 uh, Timothy, toward the end where he says, I'm now ready to be offered, the time of my departure is at hand, that's when he wrote and said, look, I, 
I want to tell you about several things. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia, and this person here is here, and no man stood with me at my last standing and told them his, his kind of present state. But he says, Timothy, when you come see me, do your diligence to come before winter. Pick up the coat that I left uh, in Troas. But he said, when you come, you've got to get John Mark. Bring John Mark because he's profitable to the ministry. And, uh, you know, toward the end of his life, I think Paul, God dealt with him. And he said, you know what, I need to make sure I don't go to heaven without talking to John Mark. And letting him know that I, I, uh, I think he's a profitable young man. I believe in him. God's going to use him. And, you know, God doesn't mind. I love the Bible because it tells the good, bad, and the ugly. <laughs> he doesn't just tell us the good parts of people. And you've got to understand that people are people at best. And uh, we see that in the story of John Mark, and, and he was used of the Lord. Most people believe that, that much of his gospel is given through the eyes and the ears of Peter. Peter was, uh, was with the Lord Jesus, and he didn't write a gospel, but possibly Peter was the main, uh, was the main source of much of Mark's gospel. And there's a theme in Mark, and I think it is, it is God's Jesus, God's servant, and God's sacrifice. Of course, the Gospels are about the person of Jesus. In Matthew, he's the king. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. But in, but in Mark, he's a servant. And God shows us to look, it's kind of looking at Jesus being in the center of the intersection, but there's four men on each corner giving their paradigm of how God wanted him to describe. And Matthew says he's the king. And of course he gives his lineage and things of that nature. Over here you have Luke and he's the man. You see him tired, you see him uh, hungry, you see his, his humanity come out and he gives his, his mother's side of, uh, of his lineage all the way back to, to Adam and gives his manhood. In that. Then John looks at him. I'm not going to stand out there and look this way. So in uh, John, he sees him as God. And then Mark as a servant, the suffering servant we find here. Over 40 times in the book of Mark, you'll find the word immediately or straightway. And so you can see when in the book of Mark, he's a servant. He's doing things. Miracles are recorded. A lot more miracles are recorded in the book of Mark. You'll see that he's going. He's doing. He's going about doing good. In the book of Mark, he will tell people, don't tell uh, anyone. Don't publish this out to anybody. Why? In Mark, he's the servant. You don't have a lineage in Mark. When you're a slave, it doesn't matter who your daddy is. It doesn't matter who your mama is. It, it, it's not, he, he is not, a, he's not at the focal point in the book of Mark, and you'll see that he keeps his profile low. He is oftentimes mistreated in the book of Mark, especially even more so. You'll see he's mistreated, especially by the religious right, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians. Uh, God uses Mark to tell us where he received a lot of rebuttals and a lot of attack from him. And of course, he's a servant. You see him ministering and moving about uh, in the book of Mark. It's the shortest of the four Gospels, only 16 chapters. 
but a wonderful book of God's Word. And I think we can see some examples in which we can live like our Lord Jesus does. If you look at Mark chapter 1, would you look there first, if you would, please? I want you to see the first verse. And I love this. And, of course, there is no lineage mentioned in the book of Mark. Would you look at verse number 1 and read it out loud with me? Mark 1, verse number 1. Are you ready? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ... So it says here, the beginning of the gospel is it's Jesus Christ, about Jesus. And who is he? He's the Son of God. Now, that's not the main focus of Mark, though it is mentioned in all of the, uh, all of the gospels. But he says, I'm gonna, this is just the beginning of the gospel in the person of Jesus, and he's the Son of God. Then he'll go right quickly into his cousin, John the Baptist. Chapter 1 is mostly about the ministry of John the Baptist and, um, and his ministry in preparing people for that. I think the key verse is found in Mark chapter 10. Would you turn there, please? Mark chapter 10. If you're in the habit of underlining things in your Bible, I think you'd want to underline this particular, particular verse. Mark chapter 10. I said 10. I think I said that. That's right. 10. Verse number 45. 10 verse 45. And uh, why don't we go ahead and read that verse together. Are you ready? Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto And we see that Jesus set the example in Mark of being a servant. He says even the servant is the, is the chiefest of all people who, who serve. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Uh, he's going to mention this in, in, in this particular book as well. Well, a couple things real quick. The outline of the book is fairly simple. It's just two sections. I, I put them, chapter 1 through 13. You might could go 1 to 14. But you'll see that Jesus is the ultimate servant in that. If you're writing notes, you would write, fill in servant there. Jesus, the ultimate servant. And you see several things. You see his works, his words, and his wisdom are accented there. His works, what he did, his words, what he said, and his wisdom is accented in the book of Mark. In those passages of Scripture, you'll see a lot of references to what he did. In his in his in his um, uh, his miracles and his movement about and how he interacted with his disciples, you'll see that he, he picks the disciples. He ordained twelve; they should be with him early in the book. And then in chapter five, he does miracles and he shows his power over demons. He shows his power over disease, and then he brings someone back from the dead. He shows his power over death, uh, and uh, in, in flexing his his. Uh, deity in the book of Mark. Then uh, number two, the last section, 14 through 16, is Jesus, our ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate servant, the ultimate sacrifice, and God's servant and God's sacrifice. A couple thoughts to ponder as we as we'll conclude tonight. I want you to notice what in Mark we see four things about Jesus that quite frankly we need to take in ourselves. And I'm asking you to take your Bible and turn to these verses. First of all, I want you to notice his busy schedule you'll see that he's about doing good. The common people heard him gladly. He was going about it. But look at chapter 6 and verse number 31. Though he was busy, and um, look at verse 31 of chapter 6. Would you look at it with me? Let's read it together. You ready? And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place. For there are many coming and going. 
He said they couldn't even stop and eat. They were so busy. Have you ever been so busy in a day you forgot lunch and you didn't have time to eat lunch and things of a nature? That's a little bit of the, the life and times of Jesus. He was so busy they, they could not even take a moment to stop and eat. They were very busy going to and fro. And he says, come ye apart and rest a while. By the way, that's a spiritual activity. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. <laughs> and uh, it was Van Tavern says, if you don't take time to come apart, you will come apart. <laughs> and uh, there are seasons of a life in a Christian, and even the Lord Jesus or God the Father uh, made a, a pattern for mankind. Six days shalt thou labor and do thy work, and on the seventh day he rested. And I think a rest is a very important aspect for the Christian and Jesus challenges disciples to it. He said they were so busy coming and going, they could not even take leisure. And you'll see the busyness of Jesus' day just by reading the book of Mark. And, and I do think um, John says in John chapter 9, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And I, I would just say that though we need to rest, don't rust out for God. Wear out for God. What you cannot do with energy, do with urgency. And I think all of us, sometimes we quit before we need to quit. You know, we just kind of feel like, well, I just paid God off. I put my time in. Like, you're all done. Now you're just going to coast the rest of your, of your life. I think all of us ought to realize, I don't care if you're 8 years old or 81. There's something God's left you on the planet to do. You know when you'll know that you're done serving God? When you stop breathing. <laughs> When you stop breathing, when your heart stops beating, you'll know you're done. Until that time, every Christian ought to think, what does God want me to do? What should I do with my day? How should I do something for eternity? Maybe it would be in, 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 in things that you don't always understand, but I do think we ought to be busy, and I think Jesus was busy about his Father's business. And I think we ought to do the same. It's a great example. Number two, I want you to notice this about Jesus, that he was patient with people. He was patient. You think you have a stressed out day or a pressure day. Could you imagine everywhere you turn, someone needling you just continually, never letting up? And we find that he had to be patient with his disciples and patience with his uh, adversaries. People continually trying to find ways to take him, to trick him with their words and with, it, with even force at some time. Well, what, is it, what, is it, what do we learn from Jesus? Number one, he was busy in his schedule, but he was patient with people. Let's look at a few verses. Can we do that together? Chapter 6, we're in chapter 6, verse number 52. And uh, here we see that the Lord Jesus was patient, even though the hearts of people were hardened. Read verse 52 with me, would you please? And they consider not the miracle of the loaves. You ever see someone, I think the Lord Jesus oftentimes was frustrated Man, oh ye of little what? Faith. He said, when are you going to get it? But we see the patience of God with people. Look at another verse, if you would please. Chapter 8 and verse 17. Chapter 8 and verse 17. The Bible says, And when Jesus knew it, he said unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive not ye not yet, neither understand have ye your heart yet hardened? So even later, he says to his disciples, goodness, how hard has your heart got to be? I fed 5,000 people with a little sack lunch. You think I can take care of you? And why are you so frustrated? I think we ought to remind ourselves whenever we go through difficult times, remember how God brought us through our last struggle. And trust him. 
He's a good God. He's strong. He can flex his muscle. He can protect us, provide us. He can take us through those times. And we should not be wavering in faith. And uh, doubt your doubts. Believe your, believe your beliefs. And trust the Lord. And he says, here, I'm frustrated because you don't trust me. I love that song, Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Trust, trust him and continue. Trust and obey. He's worthy of that. Look at another verse, if you would please. Chapter 10 and verse number 14. 10 and verse 14, he says, But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. Let's look at verse 13. Let's read 13 together. And they brought young children to him. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. By the way, I want to thank you, church family, for reaching children with the gospel. Anybody that would ever hurt a child, there's, we have no patience for that. And, and we oftentimes refer them to the, the, the authorities if anyone ever hurts a child. But boy, children need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear, how many of you got saved before your 12th birthday? Would you raise your hand? Hold it up high. I'm in that group right there. And I'm so thankful that someone reached the children of our church. I'm glad that... that they're there, and I'm glad this church has reached children throughout its history. I heard about a little nine-year-old boy getting saved yesterday at City Baptist School, and I rejoice with that. The little child can receive Christ and accept the Lord as Savior. And, and, you know, it takes two things to get saved, to believe and receive. And Jesus says, unless someone comes to me like a little child, you know, little children are quick to believe the truth of the gospel and accept the gospel. And you get a little bit older, you become more hardened, more skeptical, more, you, you create more biases in your heart and life. And boy, we ought to never, never neglect. I'm so grateful you give to the bus ministry. Thank you for working. Thank you for being patient with the children in our ministry. At the same time, uh, loving them and helping them. Uh, I believe it's important. Jesus was frustrated with them because they, they rejected the children. And when people came and wanted to touch the children and to, and to help them, uh, the disciples said, get your baby away. Leave him alone. He's a busy man. He says, stop. That, that makes me upset. That displeases me. And you see that he was patient with the disciples and patient with others. Look at the next thing I think we need to learn from Jesus. Not only was his schedule busy, was he patient with people, but he was compassionate. Compassion was revealed. Look at chapter 5 and verse 19. Can we look there, please? Chapter 5 and verse 19, we'll look at all of this. But here we see, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. We see that, that God accentuates the compassion. Chapter 6 and verse 34, turn across the page there. And Jesus, when he came out, he saw much people and was moved with what? Toward them, because they were a sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And he said he had compassion. Chapter 8 and verse number 2. I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me these three days and have nothing to eat. Chapter 10 and verse 21. We see that Jesus said, Beholding him, loved him, and said, One thing thou lackest, and uh, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and come, and take up thy cross, and follow me. And he said... And he was sad at the saying when he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. But we see the compassion of God. And dear friend, we need to ask the Lord. Someone said, 
love or compassion is love in action. Remember the, uh, the, uh, the fellow that was beaten up on the road to Jericho and the, the priest walked by and saw him, probably had empathy and thought, ah, man, that guy is just barely alive. I feel so bad, but I got to keep going. And then the Levite walked on the other side and saw him, looked down, did nothing. Do you think they had compassion for him? Did they have love and interest and empathy for him? Probably so. But then the Bible says that the good Samaritan, he looked upon him and had compassion. Compassion is love in action. We see the Lord Jesus emulate that, and sure we ought to as well emulate that. Then the last thing, Jesus in Mark spent personal time with the Father. Let's look at these three verses, and we'll conclude today. Would you look at chapter 1, verse number 35? Chapter 1, verse 35, let's look at it and let's read it out loud together. You ready? And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. Isn't that something? He woke, he woke up early and went out to a quiet place by himself and he prayed. And uh, let's look at the next one, chapter 6, verse 46. 6, verse 46, the Bible tells us this. That when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain. For what reason? To pray. You think if Jesus needed to pray, that I need to pray? That you need to pray? Certainly, it's prayer is the private discipline we oftentimes ignore. It's easier for us to preach than it is to pray. It's easier for us to work eight hours than to spend one hour in prayer. It's easier to get up and go hunting than it is to get up and go to a prayer meeting. It's easier to get up and go visit on a, on a vacation than it is to get to a, a place of prayer. You'll be glad once you go there, but just getting there is a big challenge so many times. Personal time. Look at one more. Chapter 14, verse number 35, toward the end of the book. This is given. Chapter 14, verse 35. Let's read it together, can we please? And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. You'll see in the book of Mark, we see the busyness of Jesus, his patience toward people, his compassion upon those who needed uh, his help. And then you'll see also his prayer and his time in solitary with the Father. I think all of us could take those four lessons home tonight and say, Lord, would you please help me? Would you help me to be busy about your business? Help me, Lord, to wear out instead of rusting out for you. Help me to be busy about your business. If I have to rest, to rest a while for the sake of being able to go hard for you. Help me to be, to be passionate, patient with others. Help me be compassionate toward the hurting. Compassionate, and then help me to spend time alone with our Father. Making, this is the little statement at the bottom, make the example of Christ our mode of operation. I'd like to encourage you with that tonight, especially. I want to remind you this real quickly. When we talk to the Gospels, each of the Gospels tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Matthew, when we do that, he says, and lo, I am with you always. When Christians and churches get the gospel out, we, God exchanges our obedience for his presence. In Mark, you see in chapter 16, verse 15, when people got the gospel, he says, he says when you go, you're going to find some trouble. He says, some people might make you drink poison. I can, I can keep you healthy in spite of that. So you might get bit by a snake in my service, but I can, t I can overcome a snake. If you go through difficult times, I'll give you my protection. One of the things I think as a church that we want, we want God's presence upon our services. 
and upon our ministry. Number two, we want God's protection. I want that on my own life. I want that on my on my on the church family I get to be a part of. Then chapter uh, in Luke, he says, "When you go, I want you to follow my plan. Beginning at Jerusalem, go to all nations. That means we don't want to overlook Hammond, Indiana, and Munster, and Cherville, and Cow City, and Whiting, and East Chicago." God wants his gospel to work out from the church and then to the ends of the earth. That's his program. In John, he says, as the Father has given me, so send I you. My peace I give to you. When people are actively about getting the gospel out, God exchanges their obedience for his peace. So we see his presence, his protection, his program, his peace. And then Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, but ye shall receive power. When you get the gospel out, God exchanges those things. And you know, all of us need those four things. We need God's presence upon our life. You know how you can do that? Be actively trying to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. You want God's protection upon you, your family, your children, your finances. Uh, you, can, you can fret and, and all that, or you can let God protect you. And the safest place to be is right smack in the will of God, doing what God wants you to do, getting the gospel to another person. Following God's program, experiencing God's peace, and having God's power. I think if there's anything we can learn from the gospel is that we're supposed to be getting the gospel to somebody. And uh, let the gospel be you, and let the gospel be me.